This is an AMI podcast. Hey, Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. morning it's tuesday december the 5th 2023 welcome to now with dave brown coming to you on ami tv i'm dave brown let's hit the horns and go Uh, the vocal warm-ups paid off this morning coming up on the show today how do you deal with the looming credit card hangover after the holidays and debt. A Canadian toy company is putting an inclusion at the forefront. Leslie Rockland tells you about TFH's sensory toys and products for children with disabilities. And what would it take for more people to invest in an electric vehicle? Lawrence Gunther will consider the factors. That and so much more coming your way over the course of the next couple of hours. But the show begins with the top story of the day. And like it's been so many times in 2023, it's about housing and the housing affordability crisis. A Desjardins report suggests short-term rentals contributed to the housing affordability crisis. Michelle Zedekian has more. The report says the proliferation of short-term rentals has had a significant effect on the affordability and availability of homes by reducing the number of units available for long-term rentals and resale markets. Desjardins, citing data from analytics firm AirDNA, says Canada has more than 235,000 unique active short-term rental listings on Airbnb and Verbo, the two largest hosting platforms. That's about 1.4% of Canada's housing stock. One of the Problems is real estate investors often make more money on short-term rentals than long-term ones. Michelle Zedekian, The Canadian Press. Another story from the world of business and economy, Spotify is laying off 17% of its global workforce. Jason Nathanson files this report. Last week, Spotify announced Taylor Swift was the most listened to person on the music streaming service in 2023, but even her popularity wasn't enough to avoid layoffs. Spotify is cutting its workforce by 17%, CEO Daniel Ek announced Monday. The move comes after the last quarter earnings report showed surprise gains in subscriber growth and profitability. But Ek says in order to remain profitable, the cuts are necessary. Approximately 1,500 jobs will be lost following layoffs of around 800 earlier this year. Jason Athenson, ABC News. Hollywood. Notice a correlation there from a story here with Spotify. Hey, revenue was up. Profitability is up. (sighs) Got to lay off people. Last week, the Canadian banks. Oh, we only made a billion dollars last quarter. Got to lay off some people. For all the conversation you hear about uh, trying economic times, and certainly there are at an individual level, some of these corporations are doing just fine, but saying, eh, It's a recession. Got to lay people off. Loyalty matters in workforce. And stories like this make me wonder how loyal employers want employees to be. One more story for you, and this one's from the uh, Oddity file. Oxford University Press has picked its word of the year, and it's one you probably have not used all that often. Shelley Adler has the winner. 
It's not really a word. It's part of a word. It's riz. And it's believed to come from the middle of the word charisma and can be used as a verb as in riz up or chat someone up. That's according to the Oxford University Press. Riz is a popular term used by Gen Z to describe someone's ability to attract or seduce another person. It tops Swifty. The word situationship, which is an informal romantic or sexual relationship, and prompt, not the word for being on time, but an instruction given to an artificial intelligence program. I'm Shelley Adler. I could listen to Shelley Adler try to use Gen Z words all day. Not that I'm being ageist, but it definitely offers a little bit of uh, comedy this morning. By the way, prompt should have been the word of the year. Like, if we're being really clear here, Riz is a very narrow term. Prompt in its relation to ChatGPT and other forms of AI, that is one that has been used a bunch this year. I, I think Oxford University was uh, playing for the uh, clickbait there instead of just using prompt, which probably was the, the right word of the year. Although you may recall this. This was a huge point of conversation. I believe it was 2021 when Chugi was named uh, Word of the Year. And that sort of meant uh, someone who was thinking things that were old were cool or old people thinking what they thought was cool was no longer cool anymore. Ah, that's so Chugi. So, you know, you're picking these words that like people aren't actually using. How can it be a Word of the Year if people aren't actually using it, at least in terms of like the broader mainstream. Anyway, I'm picking a methodology here. I'll move on to the daily polls at Accessible Media. Well, there goes the vocal cord exercises. At Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. That is where you vote. On Monday, you were asked what type of assistive tech has had the biggest impact on your life. 54% of you said navigation and GPS. 20% of you said voice control and voice over. 13% of you said automated captioning. And 13% of you said other. Lots of great responses on Facebook at Accessible Media Inc. Craft and Deborah writes in auto captions, the cell phone period with apps for the deaf that translate as well as pick up sounds such as knocking, water running, and appliance beeping, ebooks that I can adjust text size, etc. Reminders. I seriously cannot believe the difference in my life thanks to apps on my phone. Diane comments, I love descriptive video. Also, anything that magnifies is a plus, although I can't say enough how much I appreciate using voiceover. Tammy chimes in, navigation and GPS and talkback on my phone. Brett says GPS and ebooks. We can call an ebook assistive tech. Without GPS, occasionally I would not be able to get out of a wet paper bag. Without ebooks, I would not read books. Laughing emoji. And then over to Twitter at Accessible Media, James tweets in audio streaming system for TV for TV to hearing aids and either Bluetooth or direct like phone cell phone to hearing aids. Thank you to everyone who got involved in the conversation on social media yesterday. You should do that again today. In just a couple of minutes, there will be a conversation had about dealing with debt. So I thought today might be a reasonable time to check in on personal finances at Accessible Media on Twitter, at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. How are you feeling about your personal finances this time of the year? Good, okay, or bad? I specifically put this time of the year in this conversation because 
it's possible that you might be feeling really good about your personal finances all the way until about December the 5th through January the 15th when there's just a lot of obligations, whether it be gift giving, social events, travel, et cetera, et cetera. So where I would have told you about 10, 15 days ago, it's all good in the neighborhood. I'm definitely looking down the barrel of a couple big expenses here in the next 30 to 40 days. So I'm going to land on okay, just okay. I'm very lucky. I'm very privileged. I'm looking down the barrel of not a bad situation, but just a couple hits to the old pocketbook. Laura Bain, what about you? Oh, boy. Yeah, this is uh, <laughs> a personal question, and I don't want to be a bit of a, a downer. I would say that the time of year isn't having a huge impact. Um, you know, people know that I'm a student, and I have to say that student loan, especially here in Nova Scotia, it seems to be the exact same amount that I got per year when I went back to school in 2009. Um, you know, and costs of living and tuition are not the same as they were in 2009. So right. that's creating quite a pinch. I think maybe the program just isn't really designed to suit the needs of mature students with disabilities. Like maybe there's assumptions that you're going to be getting some help from your parents or that you are living in a house with like 10 other 18 year olds, uh, certainly that you're able to work, I would say is the assumption. Um, you know, but I, I, I have been fortunate in, in a lot of ways and I'm very grateful for that. Like where I live, I've lived for a number of years. So the rent has stayed pretty much static, but, um, yeah, times are, times are a bit, a bit tight and, uh, you know, that will impact what I'm able to kind of give for gifts this year for Christmas for folks or yeah. kind of things like that. I, uh, I, I did just, I did just splurge on a gift for my partner though, an early Christmas present, which um, he doesn't know about yet. So I won't be okay. able to play him this <laughs> segment <laughs> later, but uh, you know, it, it does, uh, does feel nice to do that, uh, but probably you know, not going to be too much else yeah. under the tree this year. Yeah. After Christmas, I want the big reveal of what that was. But uh, for <laughs> now, you can keep it under wraps. No spoilers here uh, on December the 5th. Alex Smythe, what about you? I, again, I, I know that this time of season is actually quite a busy one for you and the family. So it's just, to me, it's just like the little chips away at the overall pocketbook that can really add up in a hurry. Yeah, for me, it's more like waves, Dave, because the month of November, I have both my parents and my brother celebrating their birthdays, and then I just turn around and do it all again for Christmas. And for me, I'm I'm a big gift giver, so that kind of really plays into it. So uh, I've I've learned to kind of, you know, be prepared for this time of year and, and kind of make sure my finances are in order going into late October into November so I can brace myself for this this double whammy of, of gift giving that I, I enjoy, but you know, it, it does have that financial impact. So I'm on the okay category, but yes, yeah, definitely when you, you factor in November and then all, uh, you turn around and you go back into December with, you know, wanting to give gifts to the people you care about in your life, which I, I always enjoy doing. So, uh, you know, it's a bit self-imposed uh, self uh, financial hit, but uh, I'm happy to do it. It's just that double whammy back-to-back -back is, is a bit hard sometimes. And it will come up in the next segment that uh, none of us are alone in the way that you uh, may be feeling this time of year when it comes to some of those uh, obligations. And again, a few of those dents on the armor. At Accessible Media on Twitter, 
Twitter at Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook. That's where you can vote on the poll on social media. You can also chime in via email, feedback at ami.ca, feedback at ami.ca, or pick up the phone and give the show a ring, 1-866-509-4545. Coming up after the break, this conversation about managing debt continues. Ann Arbor from the Credit Counseling Society will offer some tips on dealing with debt. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in audio on amiplus.ca. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. The credit card holiday hangover is coming soon, but now is a good time to start thinking about how to deal with debt. Debt in Canada generally rises in December. One in four Canadians say they would not be able to cover an unexpected expense of $500. Ann Arbor has some helpful tips on how to deal with your debt and is the Director of Strategic Partnerships at the Credit Counseling Society. Hey, Ann, thank you for making time this morning. I'm grateful. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So, Anne, this is not just a holiday or post-holiday story. People are dealing with debt issues all year round. What's the first thing someone should be doing when they know their debts are spiraling out of control? I know it might sound trite, but honestly, take a deep breath. You are definitely not alone. Um, Debt can feel super isolating and incredibly stressful, but there is help available in lots of different places. What are some of what are some of the options that somebody should consider? Like you said, there's a lot of different paths and routes that somebody can take. What are some of the general good options or starting point options? The starting point really is you know, to go to your financial institution and see what's available there. Now, that being said, our typical client has multiple creditors, so multiple financial institutions. So it might mean making a few phone calls, but in the spectrum of dealing with your debt, taking some control and doing it yourself is is a great place to start and speaking to some trusted sources. And there are various options along the route from there. What about being just honest with yourself, taking the time to totally assess the financial situation. Yeah. And that's where taking the deep breath comes in, right? The numbers don't lie and trying to avoid it because it is stressful doesn't help. You know, there was a commercial many years ago, somebody had their credit card bill up on the fridge and they were able to flick it and all the numbers fell away. Unfortunately, um, that doesn't happen. So being honest with yourself and sitting down and writing, you know, putting all the the pieces together to see what is actually the situation. Sometimes it's not quite as bad as you think, um, and there are options available, whether that's to consolidate uh, into lower interest products or to speak to, and and I mean, I own my bias on this, to a not-for-profit credit counseling agency that doesn't have, um, you know, any vested interest, just a neutral source to help you figure out what all those numbers look like and and what the options are from there. 
how likely is it for someone to get out of their debt and wipe the same slate clean uh, if, if, they t if they take a pragmatic approach? Yeah, it's quite likely. There are a number of options that can help you do that. So ranging from, as I say, working with your financial institution to get to a, a lower interest product um, or rearranging things in a way. Um, we have a, a low-cost debt solution, which we work with creditors on the client's behalf to reduce and in many, many cases eliminate the interest. So that minimum payment that you're making every month and you feel like you're not getting ahead because you really aren't, um, is a principal payment. And then of course there are there are legal options on the other end uh, as well with like a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy. If somebody was to take the consolidation approach, like you said, trying to find a lower interest product where there's a bigger uh, focus on principal and a lower interest rate, what kind of discipline has to go along with making that decision? So it's not simply putting the debt under a different rock, but saying there's got to be a lifestyle choice as well. Thank you for bringing. Yes, that's such a good. That's such a good way to frame it. It definitely is being honest with yourself about where the shortfalls are and where the problem is stemming from. So it's the difference between putting a Band-Aid on it and actually solving, solving the, you know, healing the wound. Um, so it's knowing your numbers on a month-to-month -month basis, a week-to-week -week basis. And that's, things have changed in the last year alone. Um, people's budgets are being increasingly squeezed. So. Mm. You know, making a budget isn't just one of those things you do because you're an adult and then you pop it in the drawer like, okay, I tick, I've, I've made my budget. It's a dynamic process. Things change every single month. So knowing where your money is going and where those those holes are and where the shortfalls are is really an important piece of of the puzzle. And you mentioned people feeling the squeeze. Certainly, uh, you and your colleagues can't just be revealing details of uh, interactions you're having with clients. But even though some of the general economic data this year has not been as dire as people anticipated it being from like a macroeconomic perspective, what are you and your colleagues seeing in terms of people at the personal financial level in an era of high interest rates, high cost of living, et cetera, et cetera? We're seeing it definitely on the micro level. So groceries are taking a bigger, bigger chunk out of everyone's budget on a regular basis. Uh, depending where you are, if you have a mortgage uh, and are renewing it or are anticipating renewing it, in some cases that's a, you know, the payments have doubled or even tripled potentially. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we always, it's inflation where it hurts, which is day to day. Um, and the gas pumps changing five cents here, five cents there won't, you know, have a, an immediate effect. But those little bits and pieces chip away at people's budgets. Um, rents are going up and uh, it's squeezing a lot of people on the micro level. And you mentioned some of the legal options that people may have. And you mentioned bankruptcy why is bankruptcy not, and <laughs> this question's kind of self-evident, but why is bankruptcy not necessarily the ideal pathway for someone to take? You know, in a lot of cases, it can offer a lot of relief, but there are implications of it. Um, and as I say, there are, every situation is different and everyone's, wherever you are at your particular financial age and stage, uh, is an important thing to look at the whole picture and what the implications will be long term.
And you talked about how uh, the Credit Counseling Society can offer some advice and can offer some guidance and help people chart a pathway forward. What are some of the specific services available with the uh, CCS? So first and foremost, it is free, confidential credit budget counseling. So anyone can call us or reach us through our chat feature online or fill out a form and ask for a call back uh, at, a, at a time that works for them. But it is there's no limit to the number of times somebody can reach one of our counselors who are on standby to, to get that conversation started. You might think your issue is you know, you're looking at your budget and you're seeing it in a particular way, but getting some fresh eyes and some fresh perspective on that uh, is really important. So um, we're online at nomoredebts.org uh, and our phone number is one 527 8999 Folks are on the phone six days a week to be able to help. And thank you to you and your colleagues for the work that you do. Thank you for sharing a little bit of perspective today. All the best over this time of the year, and hopefully we get a chance to connect again in the new year. You as well. I'd look forward to it. That's, that's Ann Arbor, Director of Strategic Partnerships at the Credit Counseling Society. You heard Ann mention that phone number, one 527 8999 That's one 527 8999 or head over to the website nomoredebts.org that's nomoredebts.org coming up after the break what would it take for more people to invest in an electric vehicle Lawrence Gunther will consider the factors this is now with Dave Brown on AMI TV It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv, just connecting with Lawrence Gunther for a conversation all about electric vehicles. So while we work on that, let's bring in Alex Smythe for the weather story of the day. And Alex, you're looking to the west this morning. Yeah, Dave, my own stomping ground of Alberta because it's a very wacky day for weather in the province. Uh, strong winds and warm temperatures are really providing an unusual start for December. So how unusual it is? Well, the wind gusts are gonna be reaching upwards of 100 kilometers per hour today, especially in those southern foothills in southern Alberta. And so with those strong winds comes obviously the risk of down power lines, falling trees. So caution is advised while traveling due to those strong winds. But the unusual pattern of temperature is the other aspect that I really want to dive into today because there's some parts of the province that could see 20 degrees above normal temperatures today. So Medicine Hat, for example, they're expected to have a high of 17 degrees. Oh, come and that on. Would be, that would be 19 degrees above seasonal today. And it's not just isolated to there. Calgary, Alberta, the high is expected to be 15 degrees today. Their average temperature, minus one, so that's 16 degrees above normal. Grand Prairie and Medicine Hat, uh, Grand Prairie, sorry, and Fort McMurray, 
their boat's expected to be 11 degrees above whoa, seasonal whoa, today. Whoa. And, that so, is, and that is northern Alberta. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so seeing positive uh, temperatures as you get like uh, Edmonton and north is highly, highly unusual. This could even be along the lines of record setting in some parts of the province, you know, specifically when you're getting those 20 degrees above normal, you're really kind of getting close to that fine line of record setting temperature for the month of December. So it's really unusual. That said though, it's gonna be very short lived. Come tomorrow, it's gonna to be back into the low single digits. And then by next week, you're back into the negative temperatures. So for those in Alberta, you know, it's it's not a bad way to enjoy a bit of a a bright uh, spot of of uh, warm temperatures. Just be mindful of the wind if you're going to be out and about because some areas are going to be very very windy. Hope you didn't put the barbecues away just yet, friends in Alberta. Alex, thank you for this. Coming up in 60 seconds, what's it going to take to get more people to invest in an electric vehicle? Lawrence Gunther will consider that question. But first. Here is Canadian press reporter Karen Rebo with your Morning Business Minute. Canada's main stock index moved a little lower yesterday. Toronto's TSX index lost 42 points to close at 20,410. New York's Dow Jones average lost 41 points and the Nasdaq tumbled 119. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei index plunged 455 points. The February gold contract was down 47.50 yesterday to just over $2,042 US an ounce. And our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 73.7. Cents US. CBC announced yesterday it's cutting roughly 10% of its workforce in response to rising production costs, falling TV ad revenue and fierce competition from the digital giants. The head of Sobeys says Canada's grocery retail sector is one of the most competitive in the world. Michael Medline told MPs on the Commons Agriculture Committee that this, coupled with Canada's food inflation being among the lowest in the world, is of little comfort to struggling Canadians. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Karen Rebo. Thank you very much, Karen. Staying in the world of business, sort of, electric car sales are on the rise globally. The International Energy Agency says sales jumped to more than 10 million units last spring. However, a Canadian study found 66% of people said they are unlikely to consider an electric vehicle the next time they buy a car. Electric cars have been touted as a big part of the solution in reducing greenhouse gases. So what would it take for more people to buy an EV? Lawrence Gunther has been pondering this question. Lawrence is the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. Hey, good morning, Lawrence. Hi, Dave. How are you? Lawrence, I'm great. Interesting topic here. Lots of threads to tug at. The first one being cost, because generally speaking, electric vehicles cost more to buy than your conventional combustion engine vehicle. Governments have created some rebate programs to offset prices. Is that enough? You know, Dave, the first people to buy these electric vehicles, like I'm talking the pure electric vehicles, not hybrids, and we'll get into that a little bit later, but they were the early adopters, right? People who, you know, like to be the first and 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 have these cars as lifestyle cars. It's not a functional thing. It's not a practical thing. It's just say, hey, look at me. I'm driving a Tesla or, you know, I'm a Ford Mustang EV or, you know, one of these. These are all expensive cars. They're beyond the cost reach of most people. And even if you have a $5,000 rebate program, there's still a lot more cheaper, 
ice, you know, internal combustion engine cars out there that are way too attractive and, and are good old, you know, cars that have good value that we know have worked well in the past that are just way more cost uh, effective in terms of their price. So people are buying them. Now, Lawrence, the narrative that you're talking about there is a little bit of an older narrative, though. It's not all $100,000 Teslas on the road anymore. Every car manufacturer has made some sort of investment on the EV side. So what is the landscape when it comes to budget-friendly options that exist for buyers? There's a few inexpensive ones out there, the Bolt, the Leaf, but they're so boring and they have such poor range and they're they're just not inspiring cars like you look at what's going on out there in the car market the, these low cost electric cars are really you if you're making a statement on one of those you're saying hey look at me i'm driving this really boring electric car around in the city the the nicer cars the more fun cars are are the hybrids now and this is where that's rock in the marketplace you know you're and it's where the industry's turning because EV cars, the pure electric cars, those sales are dropping off. You know, they're expensive. They the the industry thought, well, people are loving these electric cars and they're and they jacked up their prices in the last three or four years. They jacked them up way through the roof. And um and and people were buying them, but they were the early adopters. And then when they really started pumping them out, this those sales started dropping off because the price point is just too high. But where people are jumping in is in the hybrid market. These are cost-effective cars. You can still say, hey, I've got an electric car, but it still has a gas engine in it and that's the issue right there's still gas cars well so so why do hybrids present a solution here maybe a more maybe a more practical solution for the average consumer well they deal with a couple things and one is range range anxiety right you know we're Canada is a huge country and it's one thing to have an electric car to buzz around in your uh, your community you know just you don't have to go far you put on maybe on average 50 kilometers a day to go to work and back and run a few errands you can plug it in at home you don't need to worry about gas you don't need to worry about lining up at uh, those mysterious EV charging stations which is just not enough of and when you do find them quite often they're broken and that's fine but most people they have one car they want to use it for, you know, buzzing around town, but they also want to get out of the city and go visit, you know, relatives and family and friends and places and vacation outside the city. And that's where the range uh, range anxiety kicks in. So this is where the hybrid is, is coming back strong, right? You, you can say, look, you can do electric in the city and you can do gas on the highway. And uh, but the problem is. People are just doing gas all the time because they forget to plug them in a home or they don't have a place to plug them in a home that's convenient and they just rely on the gas or a lot of hybrids don't even plug in, right? They just charge off the gas engine. So really they're internal combustion engine vehicles with a little hint of electric capacity built into them. Uh, Lawrence, there's there's a lot to unpack in that answer. I do think it's worth noting, again, for the sake of like modernizing the conversation here, a lot yeah. of the ranges are no longer 30 or 40 kilometers. We're in like the yeah. hundreds of kilometers now on a lot of these ranges on EVs, like even, even some of the cost-effective ones. So I, again, I think just for the sake of having this conversation honestly, we need to make sure we're giving people the actual right data oh, yeah. points. Now, the one yeah. thing you did mention there is the component of charging and ease of charging. I can't speak to what you cited about uh, the ones in public being broken, but I can speak to this. There is a serious infrastructure deficit 
in regards to making electric vehicles more commonplace, not just in terms of public charging stations, but building codes, having the right kind of amperage and charging capacities in somebody's home. Think about the number of people who live in condos or apartments. You have to go through the board to put a charging station in if you're allowed to do that at all. So I think what really needs to happen here in a broader conversation, if people are going to buy in, is actually creating way more charging infrastructure. Absolutely. And you see some condo buildings actually uh, saying we're not going to put charging stations in for various reasons. It's insurance reasons. They're, they're worried about fires. And, uh, you know, when you have a, a, an electric vehicle fire with those batteries, those lithium batteries, they, they, they burn quite hot and they're very difficult to put out. It's not something you want in the basement of your condominium or your apartment building necessarily to have a, a raging, intense heat fire. That, that can't be extinguished easily uh, taking place, right? So there's that. There's there's also, you know, if you're going on the highway and you stop, you know, it, it's it's a 20-minute, it's 30-minute charge uh, to get up to 80% quite often. And um, if there's a charge station that's broken, the lineup can be a bit high. Also, Dave, we have weather, like we have cold weather, which means you're, your heat has to run and that draws off the battery. And in the summer we have hot weather and that means your AC has to run and that takes off the battery. And in, in the extreme cold, your batteries need to be warm to actually function in the first place. So if you're parking your car outside in minus 30, minus 40 degree weather, there's a good chance the batteries aren't going to come to life right away. They You have to ignite your car's um, elect ignition and the first thing it does is warms up the batteries so the batteries can actually function. And uh, that can take a little bit of time, right? So people are talking about frozen battery issues. So there's all that. And, and just to be clear, you know, the range issue, when I mentioned 50 kilometers, that's the study of what people normally drive in the in the city on average. It's not the range. The range of most electric vehicles is around 250 kilometers now. Some are pushing into 500 kilometers, 600 kilometers. The new cyber truck was supposed to be uh, way up there. It just came out last Thursday. It's coming in at around uh, 500 miles, so about six, 700 kilometers. And it, But that's still, you know, a trip from Ottawa to Toronto, right? In, in the wintertime, you'd be pushing the envelope. You'd probably have to stop and, and charge at some point if you're running your AC or your heat. You're not going right. to get there on a single charge. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm totally willing to accept that premise. Absolutely. But I think, again, yeah. that's where it comes into this idea of if you're going to do this, if there's going to be a broader mm -hmm. investment and asking people to buy in to EVs, there needs to be an infrastructural investment as well, whether that's government yeah. or the private sector. I know Parkland, for example, owns a series of gas stations uh, in Western Canada, and they've made a huge investment in regards to more uh, EV charging stations because they realized, hey, if somebody has to spend 20 minutes while they're charging here, we're going to sell them more water. We're going to sell them more food. We're going to sell them stuff. So there can still be a business case made here for that investment mm -hmm. by the private sector. It's not simply on the government to go build these charging stations. The private sector is going to get a little bit of buy-in on this as well. Uh, Lawrence, I think for the purpose of making this a more holistic conversation, though, it should be noted that electric cars, much like the carbon tax, in and of themselves are not actually a climate policy. They are sort of a piece of a bigger puzzle. And I think it is at least worth discussing somewhat that electric vehicles might not actually be the 
ultimate green solution that they're sometimes advertised as uh, disingenuously by both uh, the government and the private sector. Yeah, it, you know, if, you're, if your electric uh, grid is powered with coal or natural gas or oil, you know, you're not really doing anything beneficial for the climate, right? You're really creating electricity to charge your car using fossil fuels. So that's a problem. And, and face it, we don't have enough electric infrastructure in most of provinces of Canada that's renewable or that's, you know, greenhouse gas friendly uh, to, to take on a whole bunch of new electric vehicles. And people realize that it's, it's the conversation everywhere is that, yeah, I buy an electric vehicle, but look in already there's communities where we're, you know, dealing with brownouts in, in, in the summertime when everyone's turning on their air conditioners. We're seeing this in the States a lot now in California and they're, you know, they're mandating electric vehicles by 20, 35, no more ice engines being sold after that point. And yet they're, they're, they're having, you know, uh, electric restrictions in terms of electrical usage by consumers. So people are worried. They're saying, uh, you know, how can I have an electric car when I can barely, you know, air condition my home without worrying about the electricity being shut off? So I, my concern, Dave, is this resurgence of hybrid cars is that's really taking off and electric vehicle sales are are slowing and you're seeing manufacturers sort of step away from the pure electric vehicle and and get back into hybrids and some of these new hybrid cars you know they have the gas engine they have the electric uh, engine they have the battery but they don't even offer a, a, a sort of a fuel saving in some of these vehicles in terms of how much gas these vehicles use they just simply offer if you want to uh, bop around town a little bit on just pure electricity, it'll do that. But mostly the electricity is almost there as a as a pump, as a bump to your a gas engine to give you more horsepower, to give you more speed, and it becomes a performance thing. So hybrid cars and vehicles are becoming a sort of a hyper-performance vehicle with more horsepower, more get-up-and-go, you know, zero to 60 in four seconds. And they're being advertised like that, not as a, as economic, um, you know, efficient greenhouse gas sort of conservation-type-minded vehicles. It's it, And when you buy one of these cars, most people have their cars for 10 years. So this is going to delay our adoption of pure electric vehicles potentially by, you know, another 10 years easily. Lawrence, thank you for this. I appreciate the conversation. Yeah, thanks, Dave. That's Lawrence Gunther. He's the host of Outdoors with Lawrence Gunther. You can find that show Saturdays at 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time on AMI-audio. You can find Lawrence on Twitter at Lawrence Gunther. Coming up after the break, holiday festivities are ramping up all over Alberta. Community reporter Anna Kim will tell you what's to come. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI TV. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. There are so many holiday events making their way across Alberta this month that we needed one person to round it all up for you. Community reporter Anna Kim has more details. Anna is based in Wetaskiwin, Alberta. Hey, good morning, Anna. Great to chat with you once again. 
Good morning. How's it going? I'm doing pretty well. Let's uh, talk about probably one of the big ones. And this one will be passing through Alberta, but uh, this will also be making its way through a lot of communities in Canada. It's the Canadian Pacific Kansas City holiday train embarking on its cross-border journey. And it continues up to December the 19th and is making its way to Alberta. Anna, out of all the holiday events out there, why does the CP holiday train stand out? Oh my goodness, I have the most fondest memories of being a little grade three kid and my mom packing us into the van and saying, we're going to go to the holiday train. And I would meet all of my family there and we'd have hot chocolate. And I mean, you'd be running around with all these random kids with snowball fights and building snowmen and like snow transit trenches. And you could sit as far or as close to the train as you wanted to. It was just an amazing atmosphere to be in, in the community. It brought everyone together. It was exciting and loud and there were just people everywhere, or you could have people not around you. It was very like, very inclusive in, in what you could do. And everyone was singing along with, you know, the, the Christmas music and you just got to catch up with people. It's just an amazing community event and I love it. It brings the most joy to my soul. Community gathering and like you said, it's kind of a little bit low stakes, right? You don't need to pay a bunch of money or do a bunch of shopping. You can just go and be and be around people and observe and have a lovely day. Oh, yeah, 100%. And I mean, you'd... At, organize with friends and classmates be like oh we're gonna go meet at this place at the holiday train and everyone in the community knows about it you everyone knows that the holiday train is coming because you have everyone everyone show up from mayors to mlas to just families all over the place and it's just it's just an amazing community atmosphere yeah, I love it. So it actually makes its way into Alberta starting tomorrow, December the 6th. We'll pass by you and Wetaskiwin on December the 7th and keep working its way across the province till uh, December the 12th. So if somebody wants to learn a little bit more, cpkcr.com, cpkcr.com. Okay, so that's the holiday train. There's also lots of winter wonderlands popping up all over the province, and there's one being put on by the Red Deer Symphony Orchestra. Anna, what do they have in store? I know that we've talked about music and how awesome it is mm -hmm. and, and you know Broadway productions and stuff like that. So Symphony is just an absolutely amazing place to go if you want to completely be immersed in music. So they have an amazing evening of lovely Christmas music, both lively and relaxed and it's just a good way to really get into that christmas music spirit i don't know how much christmas music you've been listening to lately but since it's <laughs> december now i have allowed myself to indulge <laughs> and so i'm hoping to attend and really immerse myself in all the emotions that music has what, what do they do to really make this event special? Why does this one stand out? Because I, I agree with you, Anna. I think the music from the season is one of my favorite parts of the Christmas season. I'm still kind of fighting against the holiday tide. I, I would still love to maybe make it another week or two before I fully immerse myself in an outright holiday season. But why do you think this event is special at the uh, Polytechnic Arts Centre? 
it in that I, especially around the Christmas season, I am a community person. I love to bring community together and, and watch that dynamic flourish. So involving the local Randier Symphony and the university and in combining all of that, those aspects and bringing the community together is something that I really appreciate with this. They, they really want to make it a chance to have everyone kind of, you know, relax and, and sit together and, and chit chat and just catch up, right? Mm. Enjoy the holiday season and the family that it has, or the opportunity that it has to bring family together. So it's one of the reasons why I really like, especially local things where it's that kind of lower tense atmosphere. Right on. So this one's December the 9th at the Red Deer Polytechnic Arts Center. If you want more information, showpass.com slash MS3, showpass.com slash MS3. One more holiday event for you to have put on the radar, and this one's in Edmonton. It's a brunch with Santa Claus. I don't know if how, how much you want to release your inner child, uh, but... <laughs> I think any opportunity to see Santa Claus during the Christmas season is a phenomenal one. And I mean, if you have kids, grandkids, nieces, nephews, it's just a great little thing to bring people to. Once again, that that community and giving back to the community and wanting to bring people together, seeing Santa Claus and my little eight-year-old self would be absolutely ecstatic to do this because Santa Claus, isn't he just magical? So Eating brunch with Santa Claus is even better. It's probably just a bunch of sugar cookies. I assume that's what Santa has for uh, for brunch there. Just a whole bunch of a whole bunch of shortbread cookies. Yeah, and I, I can get in touch with my inner child, but I don't think uh, Santa wants me sitting on his lap. I think I think that might cause some problems. <laughs> maybe, maybe. So you know. 12-year-old kids might might be a little better just for the sake of Santa's knees, but you can still go and eat all the sugar cookies you want and, and soft ginger snap cookies. I feel like Santa oh. would be a fan of those. Yeah, now we're really talking here. Yeah, I've uh, I've I've lent Santa a hand because, you know, Santa can't be everywhere this time of year. He's a busy guy. So I've actually I've actually uh, donned the costume and done a little bit of work for him as a uh, overweight guy with white hair and the ability to grow a big beard. I've uh, I've, I've I've lent a hand to Santa once or twice over the years uh, around this time of season to make sure that I can spread his message even when he can't be everywhere all the time. Like the, the good helper you are. And now you know the struggles and the heartache that Mr. Claus endures and how the, the children sitting on the knees isn't the most comfortable thing in the world. <laughs> Thankfully, I've got uh, big legs. December the 17th at the Sherbrooke Community League Hall in Edmonton for that brunch with Santa. Okay, Anna, let's uh, get off the holidays for a second and talk a little bit about, about something that you did. You had an opportunity to give a speech about your experience as a person with a disability. What, what's the background here? Who asked you to give a talk? So back three months ago, I was asked by the organizers of International Persons with Disabilities Day in my community. I was asked to give a speech. And originally, I was, I was told to tell about my, my story and my journey going to South Africa as you know one of the people with a disability on, on a completely able-bodied team. And you know, I kind of took that and, and ran with it and talked about my story as a person with a disability and how I've kind of gone through and navigated the world and tried to become a, a strong advocate. And I mean, it was it was just a you know, small breakfast, but 
speaking to a bunch of people who I know came up to me afterwards and I, I know we're struggling a little bit with understanding how they can thrive in the environment that they're in and pursue what they truly wanted. And the whole idea of kind of the, the spiel that I gave was understanding that as a person with a disability, you can be limitless. It's, mm. it's up to you to kind of defy what other limits people put on you. It's up to you to determine what limits you have. And I went with a, an idea that everyone is a main character in their own story, and then they have side characters. And it's up to those side characters to try and help that main character in that story thrive and inspire and push forward even past the limits that they thought they had. So it was an amazing opportunity and slightly very terrifying. Yeah, I, I want to drill down on the terrifying side of this because even as I rapidly approach middle age, the idea of being vulnerable about talking about my disability is still hard, right? I've, I've been doing it professionally for almost 15 years now, talking about my disability, and I still find it to be difficult to be that vulnerable with people. How did you approach that? What did it take for you to be vulnerable, despite the fact that you shared a really positive, really interesting message? I walked into that event with the understanding that I'm going to be talking to a room of people who might be going through some of the same things that I've gone through. And I'm talking to a room of people of parents or siblings or caregivers who are struggling with understanding how to be that side character and allow their, their main character to thrive. And I understood that in order for people to understand and grasp the the full depth of my my speech my talk I needed to just kind of let go and let that part of myself show otherwise it would kind of seem disingenuous so I went in with the understanding that this is the way that I I need to kind of let it go so that it will help others so me being vulnerable about my experiences will ultimately help other people to maybe become vulnerable and advocates for their own. You kind of can't, you can't really talk about how to change the world and help shift things so that it's more accessible without talking about your own experiences. So as terrifying as it was, I kind of had to really understand that this is the first step into helping others change the world with me. Anna, that's a great message and a great thought to leave this conversation on. Have a great time over the holiday season. Enjoy that brunch with Santa Claus if you get down there. <laughs> and uh, I'll talk to you in 2024. Thank you very much. See you next year. That's Anna Kim, a community reporter in Wetaskiwin, Alberta. In one minute, Laura Bain has the entertainment report. But first, Google wants to change how you interact with technology. Michelle Franzen explains in Tech Trends. David Pierce is the editor-at-large of The Verge. He says ambient computing is the idea that instead of interacting with a computer through a laptop, phone, or smart speaker, all of those devices work together. Rather than a computer being an object, it should be this sort of ethereal being that just follows you around and helps you throughout your life. And it all sounds very vague because frankly, it is very vague. But one thing that is clear is that the concept will require lots of different technologies to work together. You're gonna have to make 
devices made by competitors work together. My phone and my TV and my car and my refrigerator are going to have to learn how to communicate with each other. And that'll require some large-scale cooperation. It's going to take a lot of companies and people and developers and app makers thinking really differently about how the world works than they have. With Tech Trends, I'm Michelle Franzen, ABC News. Thank you very much, Michelle. As you read between the lines on that report, the word I want you to perpetually think about in the next stage of technological evolution is frictionless. That's why you might stay in one ecosystem right now, whether it's Apple or Google or Samsung or whatever it may be. But moving forward, the future of technology ideally is frictionless. Okay, on that thought, let's turn to Laura Bain for the entertainment report. Laura... Drake is pumping some cash into a defunct amusement park. He sure is. Um, So Luna Luna was the world's first ever art amusement park, and it was originally in Hamburg, Germany. So it had a short life. It was only around for the summer of 1987. There were plans after that for it to travel to other places, but they didn't work out. And so the pieces have actually been sitting in storage for the last I guess that's about 35 years or so. Wow. So as you mentioned, uh, Drake's entertainment company, Dream uh, Dream Crew, has reportedly spent uh, $100 million to bring it back to life in Los Angeles. Super cool. So, yeah, it's really cool. Um, so it features installations from some famous contemporary artists. There's a mirror dome created by Salvador Dali, a glass labyrinth created by Roy Lichtenstein, and a Ferris wheel created by Jean-Michel uh, Basquet. I think I'm saying that right. <laughs> the, the art student, uh, the high school art student in me certainly know, I th- knew how to say that. I, I think I am. Um, but these are all, all part of the original 1987 exhibition. And there will also be some new commission works. Um, so it's going to be, oh, sorry, go ahead. No, please, please, sorry. Yeah, so it's going to be called Luna Luna Forgotten Fantasy, and it'll be opening later this month in, uh, as I mentioned, in Los Angeles, and it's going to run through the spring. So not too sure about future plans after that. I'm hoping this isn't just like a one-time revival for Luna Luna. Mm. It, 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 people have a lot to say about Drake, probably because he is so famous at this point that welcome to the polarized world that we live in. <laughs> people are going to have a lot of thoughts on him and everything he does. But the one thing I'll say about Drake, and you don't need to look too much further than down the street from the AMI offices in East York, Ontario, in the beaches, where he basically built a brand new state-of-the-art music uh, music uh, venue uh, called History. Not him exclusively, he didn't do it with his bare hands, but he was one of the big investors in it. And there's something about Drake that is truly connected to art, and it's something that I really appreciate about him. I've been to a show at that venue, History, and it is phenomenal. Listen, beers are still $15, but welcome to a modern concert going. It is such a great venue, and it's so cool to see an artist like that who has the money and the power thinking about where can I platform art, where can I invest in art in all its forms. Oh, totally. And I think that's why this story jumped out at me. I didn't really know that about Drake. I didn't know that side of of what he does. And I'm not the I'm not like the biggest fan of Drake's music. I mean, I like some of it. Okay, but this to me is really, really cool. And I'd I'd love to go see it. 
Um, now, fun little piece of trivia that I dug up about this. If anyone is sort of interested in seeing Luna Luna but isn't able to travel to Los Angeles, um, Andre Heller, the original creator of Luna Luna, put out a book in 1987 with images uh, and descriptions of all of the original installations. So if visual material is something that's accessible for you, you can... All the tentacles, eh, Laura? They're still getting... I think we're going to have a little fun with. Um, you're in in. Drake's position, perhaps, and you get to open your own theme park and you want other people to show up, but you're not primarily concerned <laughs> with money making. What is uh, the Dave Land experience like? Um, you know, Laura, this is going to sound uh, really, really basic because I am at my core a very basic human being. Uh, would it mostly be sports and carbohydrates? And I wonder at what point is that not so much a Dave land as it is a Dave and Buster's where it's like just going to be big TVs with sports on uh, carbohydrates available and a bunch of like fun games to play like laser tag or like the basketball shooting game or like skeet ball. Like, <laughs> like I wonder at what point uh, my actual theme park is actually just the sports bar. <laughs> yeah, I, I think so. And it sounds it sounds like it's going to appeal to a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. I was I was sort of thinking about the Loreland experience, and I think it would be like a hybrid of a spa slash foodie experience. Oh, so oh. picture hot springs, mud wraps, um, probably some saunas, and also like a cheese buffet and chocolate fountain. That's what I <laughs> I think I would do. I don't. I don't know if, if I had the power. I don't know if you. Were, I don't know if you were still part of the AMI family back when uh, Lawrence Gunther and I did that postcards from the Yukon uh, travel documentary. But mm -hmm. one of the places we went to, just outside of Whitehorse, was a place that was a series of hot springs connected to a crepe restaurant. So crepes and hot springs. So I think we might have found Laura Land there, not far from Whitehorse. It sounds like they've laid the groundwork for me, so I, I really appreciate that. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, Laura, thank you for this. Have a lovely day. Talk to you tomorrow. Thanks, Dave. That's Laura Bain with the Entertainment Report. Coming up after the break, the Alberta government has basically eliminated a city council and mayor from a small town. I've got that story in the regional news update. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv and in streaming audio at amiplus.ca. I'm Dave Brown. It's Tuesday, December the 5th. 2023. Coming up in the second hour of the show, a Canadian toy company is putting inclusion at the forefront. Leslie Rockland tells you all about TFH's sensory toys and products for children with disabilities. And it's another edition of the Weekly News Quiz. We'll have a fresh lineup of contestants today as Brock Richardson joins the fray alongside Alex Smythe and Alicia Yardley. That and so much more coming your way, but the hour begins with the regional news update. 
Beginning in the prairies, the Alberta government has fired the mayor and half the city councillors of Chestermere. The dismissals follow a report that cited multiple problems with the city council, including blurred lines between politicians and administration, infighting, lack of information sharing, and a failure to consistently adhere to rules and procedure. Municipal Affairs Minister Rick McIver says he was left with no other option. What's most unfortunate to me is that Alberta's government has gone out of its way over many months to give the city as much guidance and opportunity as we possibly could to help them comply with their legal requirements. But they have failed to do so. McIver wants every municipality in the province to take notice. Enough is enough. Every municipality in Alberta must comply with their legal obligations and those who choose not to will be held accountable. And over to Ontario, the Toronto Real Estate Board has released its November data. Karen Rebo shares some of the findings. The Toronto Regional Real Estate Board reported this morning that November's more than 4,200 home sales were down 6% compared to November of last year. The board says a lack of affordability has taken its toll on the market, which remains sensitive to the current environment of high interest rates. But it says relief seems to be on the horizon as a rising number of forecasters anticipate rate cuts by the Bank of Canada in the first half of next year. The average home price in Toronto last month topped one point. $1.08 million. Karen Rebo, the Canadian Press, Toronto. And finally, in the Atlantic provinces, Nova Scotia wants to limit the amount of time travel nurses can work in the province. Nurses who travel to work at hospitals where there are nursing shortages can only be hired for a maximum of 180 days. Nurses who complete contracts will have to wait for one year before they are hired again as a travel nurse. Premier Tim Houston says the change applies to all government contracts for travel nurses and is aimed at encouraging them to accept permanent positions. The changes come into effect on December the 15th. That's your look at the regional news. Here comes Brock Richardson for a sports chat. Brock, starting in the world of para-sports, the uh, para-hockey cup is going down, bringing together a few countries from around the world. Yes, uh, this tournament has been through a bunch of name changes. It's been through the Canadian Tire Para Hockey Cup. It's now it's been through the Para Hockey Challenge. It's now settled on the Para Hockey Cup, and this is still the four nation uh, team tournament that we've been familiar with. Uh, this time, it's in uh, New Brunswick, um, which is very cool. This is an event that's always held in Canada. And uh, it's hosted by Canada, and it has the United States and two other teams from other nations. This year, we have China and Czechia, and both Canada and the United States have victories over China and Czechia, which probably comes as no surprise to many of us. And tonight becomes the first round-robin game against uh, Canada and the U.S. It is at 6 p.m. Eastern time, and this is a paid event that you must pay to indulge. I must tell you that I am watching the highlights of tonight's game, and then I will watch the gold medal final if it is not on TSN, as it normally is for this tournament. I just don't like the idea of having to pay for the event that I ultimately know what the gold, a gold medal matchup is going to be, and so uh, we'll see how things go. But there's been a lot of 
displeasure from people in the para community that says I'm not loving this paid paid thing but i i i think i get where people would come from on that front brock but i also think that to a certain degree if you want money to flow into these sports the money has to come from somewhere Right, like if people want to make a, make a case for the viability and validity of these sports, then every now and then you've got to like charge some money. That said, I I'm also inclined to say, what kind of wall are you putting up that's stopping people from getting to this pair of sports? Right, and I I there there is two sides to it, and I see both. Uh, and I think if it was a uh, Paralympic Games where maybe you didn't know what you know, the gold medal match was going to be. And I'm not meaning to be disrespectful to Czechia and China, but we all know what's going to happen at this event. So I would be more inclined to say, I'm going to pay for the one game and watch it and move forward. But I do understand that money revenue streams have to come from somewhere. And here we are. But yeah, the argument can also be placed, like you just said, about the wall being put up, which can kind of be challenging as well. Yeah, is it undue burden on people with disabilities or the family of people with disabilities if they want to support the sport? But again, the, the eventually, eventually money's got to come from somewhere if you want to talk about long-term viability of these sports. And occasionally, you know, you got to pay for the things that you want. <laughs> that's that's how that's how this world works. You can't just say I want something and then be like, <laughs> well, wait a minute, uh, what do you mean I had to pay for it? You know, that's not yeah. fair. Uh, okay, Brock, right. let's uh, turn over to the world of uh, pro sports, the NBA in-season tournament, the quarterfinals are underway with a couple of games last night. What's your big takeaway from uh, the Indiana Pacers beating the Boston Celtics? Uh, Big takeaway is that Indiana is, uh, they played really well. They had a game where they went on, they had a sort of tale of two halves. They, They didn't play so well in the first half, and then they went on like a 18 to two run to end the third quarter, and they just sort of pushed it forward i would say tyson halliburton for the indiana pacers also played really well and led the way he was quoted to say look i'm tired of uh i'm tired of losing and i want to win and he went out and put his money where his mouth is and said i'm gonna play this game and play it well and i have to say dave on a secondary note the indiana pacers play in tournament court is beautiful they have solid blue uh on the court and then some yellow in the middle and as, as some of you may know, for the play-in tournament, they have specialized courts. And I would say that the Indiana, from all the ones that I've seen, is the best one. So love the game last night. Yeah, Tyrese Halliburton deserves some love for a career-best night for him. But uh, don't forget Montreal's own Ben Matherin, who chipped in with 16 points as well. Got to give that Canadian content love uh, in there, too. Uh, Brock, don't tell me you stayed up to watch New Orleans at Sacramento, the Pelicans <laughs> knocking out the Kings and heading to the semifinals. My mother tells me I should never lie. No, I did not stay up for the for this game uh, at all, but it, it seemed like it was a good game and enjoyable, and we'll see how things move forward for tonight. I'm more inclined to stay up for tonight's uh, Phoenix Suns LA Lakers game tonight, but we'll see how the the day progresses but yeah yeah, yeah. 10, 10, 10 o'clock 10, 10 p.m eastern time tip off for that one a little late yeah very much so this is the part where i wish i lived in another time zone but still was able to live with the uh canada luxury that we have so it sports would be so lovely in different time zones but other well, things would not i mean so. you could you could move to vancouver but uh, who can afford that uh brock thank you for this have a great day
You as well. That's Brock Richardson. Before I put an absolute pin in the sports talk, I do want to make mention of a gargantuan Canadian sports story. Tonight will be an emotional one for Canadian soccer fans. Christine Sinclair will be playing her last match. 45,000 people are expected at BC Place. Canada coach Bev Priestman knows everyone will be feeling it. The fact that she is such a strong person, I think she's a human being though, and I have no doubt that probably in that moment it's it's going to hit a big time. Um, but yeah, I think the team and the staff and everyone will go make her proud in that moment and, and continue in the future. But yeah, I think it's I think it's going to hit her and everyone in that moment and Canada. Sophie Schmidt will also play her last international game for Canada. Goalkeeper Kaylin Sheridan knows it will be a double whammy. There's a lot of excitement. Obviously, we want to celebrate two incredible Canadians um, and give them everything that they deserve. This place wouldn't be half as full without them and what they've contributed to the country and this program. But we're all going to be really holding back some tears, probably not very well. Forward Chloe Lacasse says the whole week has been a buildup. This whole week has been an emotional roller coaster. Um, every meal, every meeting that we get to have with Soph and Sink, we're just kind of really sinking it all in. Um, it's been such an honor to get the chance to play alongside them, not just for the incredible football players that they are, but also people. So tomorrow we're really hoping to be able to celebrate them as both football players and human beings. Canada will take on Australia in a friendly tonight. Coming up next, a Canadian toy company is putting inclusion at the forefront. Leslie Rockland tells you all about TFH's sensory toys and products for children with disabilities. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Finding the right gift for the kids in your life is challenging. Finding the right gift that is inclusive can be even harder. That's what TFH Canada is aiming to change. TFH stands for Therapy, Freedom, Happiness. Leslie Rockland is the Managing Director at TFH Special Needs Toys Canada. Hey, Leslie, thank you for making a little bit of time this morning. Great to chat with you. Uh, thanks, Dave, for inviting TFH Special Needs Toys to your show. So, Leslie, let, let's talk about the work that you're doing here more broadly. What differentiates the sensory toys from the generic toys on the market? Right. So the difference is in how the toys are beneficial. There's really something magical about bringing attention to and learning through your senses. This type of activity removes standard rules and engages the power of play, which as a recreation therapist is uh, really important to me. So I know that uh, sensory play provides layers of success over time, if that makes sense. So the, you're building skills. So those opportunities you're building through play can be transferable. And our tools and toys support all people to be included in ways they may not have ever been before by helping them to build language, physical and cognitive skills while opening doors to social development. I imagine this is going to come up in talking about a few of the toys specifically, but what are some of the general characteristics of a sensory-friendly toy? 
So some of the characteristics of those sensory-friendly toys are meeting the senses of the body. So things like uh, your tactile awareness or your uh, understanding of how weight feels on you, how visually appealing it is, how auditory or sound it is. So sometimes we're combining those things. And every day there's different products that can you know, work with that. They don't have to be toy-like or seen as a regular toy, but some of them just have added benefits to them so that we're making sure that the communication, connection, and independent play, things that help to engage your senses uh, and navigate developing, so I guess mostly in like a failure-free way. Mm. So you've got a couple toys here that uh, may jump out for folks over the holiday season or any season, quite frankly, mm -hmm. beginning with Theo the therapy dog or Chloe the comfort cat. Yeah, so Theo's actually right here behind me. I'm just gonna grab him down. So this is Theo. And Theo is a dog who is incredibly soft. He's got dangly little legs on him. So these are weighted and do dangle. He's got really soft sewn in eyes. So we're not worried about eyes being picked out or eaten or any kind of choking hazards. He's also fully washable. He has a lavender belly. We can take, open him up and take his lavender pouch out, warm that up and cool it down. Oh, wow. So yeah, so he's just, he's just cozy. <laughs> Great little little guy. And, you know, cute, right? Just like Chloe. Chloe up there is my sensory cat. And so I'm not sure if you can see her in screen or not, but I can always bring her down. Uh, she's she's behind your shoulder, but she's a little she's a little uh, wa washed out. Uh, okay. wise. But, but we, we have a couple pictures that we can throw up on screen. So, so don't worry about yeah. pulling her down. Okay, so Chloe is amazing. She has great big eyes. So in the, you know, the difference to being with Theo, the eyes are much more there, brighter looking. And she's just, just as soft, the same weight. She's about two and a half pounds. Uh, so just enough to kind of you know, feel it on your leg, feel it on your shoulder, give you that little bit of compression, like a hug. Oh, I love it. It's like it's it's like having a beautiful stuffed animal. It's the beautiful, more sensory right? friendly stuffed animal. I love that one. Okay, yeah. switching gears a little bit here because there's a couple cool toys to talk about, including the Spangla orb. Yeah. So my Spangla orb is a large plastic ball. Um, it does plug in, so you don't have to worry about batteries. You can hang it from the ceiling, but it's an amazing product because again, for someone who has uh, vision loss or has you know sight needs. So we can use it for tracking. We can use it as a nightlight. You can use it as something that we hide under other products to softly illuminate a room. So it has different capabilities, but it also sparkles nicely. You can see by the pictures they're showing how big it actually is. So it's not something you're going to lose easily. It is definitely not a ball, so we're not going to kick it. But uh, in terms of what it's meant for in a sensory space, um, it's really lovely. It's one of the things that I've noted over the years. I've done a couple stories about sensory rooms and sensory spaces. I've always loved the way that therapists are thinking about the usage of light. Not too bright, not too dark, but always some interesting motion to it. Right, and controllable, right? You want to be able to have that for some people are fine. They're jarred by a bright light in their face or they need a little more light than what other people are needing. It's just depending on what their vision needs are. I think the next one that I'd love to talk about uh, might speak to the inner DJ or the inner TV host that I was when I was a kid. Uh, you've uh -huh. got out and created some recordable communication buttons. Yes. So recordable communication buttons are these fabulous little guys here. And I'm sure you have a few shots of them as well. But they are palm size. So here's one available to you. And what you can do with it is I've actually recorded for you. And hopefully you can hear it on my mic. Yeah. 
So they're <laughs> they uh, you can record over and over again. There's a simple little red button. You hear the button, and when it beeps, you record your about eight seconds worth of sounds. You can be anything, and then you release it. It beeps twice, and you're ready to go. So whatever you put into here. So even if it's something like a message you're sending to school, or something in a lunch bag, or something in a backpack, a communication tool, or something in the morning, you know, you can put it on like the bathroom counter or the kitchen counter. Hey, you know, like, good morning. I love you. Yeah, and you get to hear that person's voice. Oh, I, I I really like an idea like that. And and Leslie, forgive me, my 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 sense of perception on 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 size is not always great. But they're round and they're what? They're they're probably less than six inches in diameter, give or take. They are. Yep, yeah, they're about the size of your palm, minus your fingers. Oh yeah, it's totally totally portable, totally reasonable. And I can yeah. I, I can imagine these may be specifically thought of for someone who has a verbal difference, who might be nonverbal, but I can see how these would be really useful for almost anybody to have fun with. Well, I think absolutely, because I don't think that, you know, there's certain times in our days that we may not be able to access the skill. Just because we have the skill doesn't mean we can always access it. So in times of discomfort or trauma, you'd be able just to push that and be have your um, communication worked for you. There's another one here on the list that just jumps out to me because I know that when I was a kid, my sister and I used to play with it relentlessly, and that was a little red cart. Well, you've created your own version of a little red sensory cart. Correct. So the Little Red Sensory Cart was developed in conjunction with the Hospital for Sick Children, uh, with the child life specialists and uh, the occupational therapists. So when they're doing dressing changes and where they're doing discomfortable and not, you know, wanted activities, but we don't have to sedate, we don't have to, you know, medically intervene, we can use the power of play to be able to change the colors. So I can show you that button box you're seeing there, if I have my button box up, I'm able to take the hurricane tube, which is an air tube behind me, and I can choose the colors that I want to see around me. So it's not something that is um, meant to be just looked at. We want people to engage with it. We want people to be able to create the space that they need and also to not necessarily focus on what's uncomfortable, but focus on what's fun. Yeah. Yeah. Taking those moments of uncomfortability and creating a little bit of a distraction that still puts you in control. It, it makes, it makes total sense to me. I'm, I'm jumping ahead here again, Leslie, but this is okay. one that I, that I just, that, that I love because as a child, I loved being on the swings as an adult. I like pushing my niece on the swings. I was delighted when I was at a park in Ottawa a few weeks ago and I could actually fit on the swing and I was swinging too. Uh, what are, what's your take on the swing? So TFH uh, has a flagship product and that's one of the things that started us over 25 years ago in developing our sensory line. And so we have a often uh, replicated, often copied product. I can bring it up here and it comes for children, teen and adults. So you definitely, Dave, could fit into our adult <laughs> swing seat. No problem at all. And it has seat liners should you want them, but it also has a five-point harness for anyone who needs the trunk support and control. It can also tilt back with the use of the ropes and adjusting the ropes. Fits to any standard swing frame. We do supply a larger swing frame meant for our adult bodies, but it, uh, it's a pretty popular product for us, just that it's encompassing for anyone can sit and swing or sway. Mm. Leslie, you mentioned the origin story dating back a couple of decades here. Mm -hmm. why, why was this something that you and your colleagues wanted to undertake uh, all that time ago? Why, why did you feel that there was a place for you to do this kind of work and serve the needs of, the, the broad needs of a lot of different people? 
this is really a coming home for me. I started off, so I do have uh, cousins that have diagnoses and I've grown up as the person who's always able to and just recognized how I'm going to get my friends and my cousins to play with me, what I needed to do to adapt my environment so that I was included. And that transpired late years later, I was coaching gymnastics and I ended up working for Variety Village and working with their deaf blind gymnastics uh, at the high level. So the children who were preparing to go to Special Olympics. So that was an amazing uh, opportunity for me to really hone my skills and take what I knew just from my growing up experiences into bringing it out there. So that was the first start for me. And then I met with TFH. We were designing the Whitby Ability Center mm. and the sponsors for that were looking for something that wasn't already on the market, wasn't well known here and looking to bring a change to sensory and I guess the snoozeland therapy, occupational therapy, show different products and tools from a very different non-corporate point of view. There's clearly a need for a lot of the work that you do, and unfortunately, some people may not have the same financial me uh, means to get those resources. Are, what kind of special grants uh, exist for people who want to get their hands on these products? Yep. So we have uh, worked with quite a few different organizations in the past. Currently, one of the ones that we're having more uh, opportunities with is Jordan's Principal. So they're available mostly to Native uh, children, their families, other organizations like Civitans, uh, Rotary Clubs, Lions Organizations. Those are some of the places that often have the ability to help fund certain parts of sensory equipment or sensory rooms. But we also know that if you search for special needs grants, uh, either in Canada or special needs grants in your province, there's definitely opportunities there. Hey, Leslie, this is fantastic chatting with you. I'm going to share the website on the way out here for folks to learn a little bit more. But thank you for the time you took today. Thank you for profiling a few of these project products. Keep up the great work, and let's connect again down the road. I'd love to. Thank you. That's Leslie Rockland, Managing Director at TFH Special Needs Toys Canada. For more information, you can visit specialneedstoys.com, specialneedstoys.com to learn more. Coming up after the break, there have been some layoffs at CBC. Alex Smythe wants the roundtable to consider what the broader media landscape looks like in Canada. And I think you are well aware that I am going to have some thoughts on this. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. Let's do some media navel-gazing. It's my favorite navel to gaze at. Alex Smythe, you've got a story uh, that comes from this Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Yeah, Dave, it was pretty big news yesterday as the CBC announced that they're laying off roughly 600 employees and not filling 200 200 vacant positions. Brenda Molina Navidad has the details. 
The public broadcaster says CBC and Radio Canada will each cut about 250 jobs. It also says about 200 currently vacant positions will go unfilled. Along with the job cuts, CBC will be reducing its English and French programming budgets, resulting in fewer renewals and acquisitions, new TV series and episodes of existing shows. It blames the cuts on rising production costs, declining television advertising revenue and fierce competition from the digital giants. Brenda Molina Navidad, The Canadian Press. Now this comes on the heels of the deal that was announced between the Canadian government and Google to pay media companies for their content appearing online. But job cuts like this are never positive. But I, I wanted to find out from uh, both you and Ramia uh, about, you know, how do you guys are feeling about the state of Canadian media following this announcement? So Oof. Ramia, let's start with you on this one. I know it's a big question, but how are you feeling about the state of Canadian media after this announcement? I mean, clearly there are a lot of shifts going on um, with the, what is it, Bill C-18, like with the, uh, all of that and the different circumstances we're facing all together, uh, like Google and the money that's being put towards um, us being able to still have news on Google, but then Meta and their circumstances and thinking like we can't necessarily get our news from that source anymore, or at least not the way we used to. Um, and then just bigger, broader conversations around what media is, what media means, and what oh. everybody is, <laughs> what everybody is going to media for. Um, it, it, I think it kind of all plays a role in this, but I don't necessarily know how to react or respond to the CBC cuts. It's different when someone like bell media or rogers pulls out and and you know shuts down uh job offers or mm -hmm. cuts a whole bunch mm -hmm. of people it feels very different it feels like you can you know point fingers and say you you horrible corporation and you know how dare you do this and that but with cbc i feel like we almost have to take a step back before we react that way because of what cbc's role is in canada it's a crown corporation that is one of the only truly unionized newsrooms in the entire country. It's one of the few places that creates meaningful full-time job opportunities inside the media landscape, even for young emerging people in the business. Yeah. The CBC serves a very important role journalistically inside the country and frankly probably does, in regards to major journalism outlets, probably does the best work in aggregate in terms of touching the most parts of the country in a, in a meaningful way. I'm gonna keep hammering the word meaningful here in this conversation mm -hmm. because CBC is a significant part of the Canadian cultural footprint. This stat's a little bit outdated, but about 10 years ago, there would be 7.8 million Canadians that would have access to zero media without the CBC. That, that, that's part of its mandate and its funding, is to make sure that every Canadian has access to radio and television in some way, shape, or form. And, I, and I, that matters, right? People will point to the $1.39 billion the CBC gets in government funding on an annual basis but it's about more than just funding your local news. It's about creating a connectivity across the country that other private institutions just can't do via affordability and scale. So Alex, that's my really long preamble to saying a story like this 
really bums me out because a lot of the jobs that are going to be lost are going to be in what they're calling non-fiction categories of content. So think things like game shows that don't fit into their strict mandate, but that are an important part of like the cultural popular offerings of the CBC. Yeah, and it comes back to the idea that Okay, well, this should, CBC offers a lot of content, a lot of different uh, opportunity, as, as you mentioned, Dave, and then for those in the strict journalism fields, but then also just on the broader broadcast uh, uh, platform to help elevate voices that may not have had opportunities elsewhere. You get more diverse voices, you get stories for, from the disability community, from the indigenous community, from the BIPOC community. Mm -hmm. And CBC has really done a great job in elevating their those platforms and allowing those offerings. When you start talking about beyond just the, you know, the journalism side of it where the cuts are being made, but it's the, the shrinking of the productions of the offerings that they offer both English and French, yeah. that is very concerning in, in my view because this is this is a public broadcaster. You mentioned it is a crown corporation. It does get over a billion dollars in funding. The reason is it's because it's so valuable because if the CBC ever goes away, well, what is the cultural identity? What is What are the stalwarts in Canadian media to ensure that the voices coast to coast to coast are being heard and represented? Because you laid it out very well that CBC has the broadest reach. It, it is most ingrained in all these, the communities across the country, not just the major hubs, but the ones up north, the ones in, in the middle of the country that don't have the largest population because there's, they see the value and the importance in covering those news, covering yeah. those stories and having that shared identity and representation from across the country. So it, it really does bum me out as well. And it's just, it's it's kind of concerning. It's like, what's the next step after this? What is the future gonna look like in the next three to five years after cuts like this are made? It, it bums me out too, because there are still flaws in the business model that they have. There's a lot of administration and middle management jobs. People who are sort of like, like you'll have sort of six to eight people above content creators who are quote, managing the content creators. And then, you know, you're, you're, there's a totally disproportionate management to worker ratio. And when you get cuts like this, fundamentally what's going to happen is it's going to be the workers, the content creators, who end up being pushed to the side and HR folks and manager folks and accounting folks get to sort of keep their jobs. And that's one of my bigger concerns about the media landscape in Canada more general, uh, whether that's CBC or whether it's some of the big guys, whether those be the uh, conglomerations of newspapers, radio stations, TV stations, et cetera, that you have what was a financially viable model for a radio station in a place like St. John, New Brunswick, but then when they get bought up by one of the big boys, all of a sudden they're paying for the corporate tower in downtown Toronto and the corporate tower in downtown Calgary, rather than simply saying, we've got a staff of 10 or 12 people and we wear a bunch of different hats and we can be profitable inside this marketplace, but we're trying, but, but we've been bought up by the national reach. So Ramya, that's what I think about in terms of the future of Canadian media. And this is gonna sound like so, 
trashy and so cliche, but it's going to be independent and it's going to be local. If you really want to have truly successful media in this country, it's going to have to be independent and it's going to have to be local to be truly financial viable. I think the idea of the broad-based broadcaster and I'm someone who's a broad-based broadcaster, so I, so I know that I'm dinosauring myself when I say this, but, like, the day of the broad-based broad broadcaster is kind of dying and done. Yeah. Yeah, of course it is, right? Like, we're seeing that in all forms and uh, and ways of um, how we consume media these days. Nobody's necessarily listening to or watching or tuning into certain things at certain times in certain places. Like, you just open up your device, your mobile device, and consume media however you want, wherever you want. And that is the, the independent and the local you're talking about. Even when I think of newspapers, like, newspapers have gone to, and magazines and such, have gone to online, have gone to other places, but then you have things like BlogTO, which is a terrible example because I'm talking Toronto and Toronto's huge, <laughs> but you, you're thinking of things like no, BlogTO no, where... It's a great example, though. It's a, yeah, Romy, it's a great... Yeah. You live in Toronto. It's okay to cite a local example. Right, right. And the local example is BlogTO, which is more of a blog, but it's it's that local feed, it's that local flavor, it's current, it's news, it's happenings, it's whatever, but it's everybody's involved, right? It's Maybe there are some people like cleaning it up and uh, formulating it, but it's still just like the people's blog and that's what i think is is going to be media moving forward and this kind of shift with cbc and with everything else that i pointed out earlier is like our big changes, our big staggering um reasons and examples of why this is happening Alex, you got to be quick on this, but I think Rami and I are a little bit on the same page here in regards to truly viable media is actually going to have to be smaller scale, not larger scale moving forward. But what do you think about viability moving forward in the industry? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I tend to agree with that. I think in terms of the actual form of media, I, I still somehow think radio has the strongest uh, future just based on how that that medium adjusted like decades ago when they were faced with challenges. Radio is still prominent in cars today. You still access it. That's typically the primary um, method of which you're gonna be listening to radio. Changing a bit with the tides of podcasting and, and, and kind of music streaming through phones and uh, other portable devices. But I still think radio has the clearest pathway forward when you compare it to print or online or television broadcasts as we see with yeah. the CBC. Forget podcasting, uh, YouTube. That That's where any individual content creator should be putting their, putting their money forward because you can monetize clicks quite literally rather than uh, podcasting, which uh, requires some funny business uh, involving a bunch of different uh, streaming services. Who we love dearly. Who we love dearly. Keep, uh, <laughs> keep promoting now with Dave Brown and the algorithm. Alex, thank you for this. Don't go too far. You're back for the news quiz in a couple of minutes. Ramya, what's coming up today on Kelly and Ramya at 2 p.m. Eastern time? We have nutrition with Julia Caranches. She's talking about healthy and tasty. She says it will be tasty. Ways to bake with legumes, so like black bean brownies and such. Also, we're checking in with W. Ross McDonald School. They've got a lot going on prepping for the holiday season, some announcements, some um, fun things around the school, so we'll check in about that. And for parenting with Lucia Belafonte, she wants us to embrace kindness and patience towards yourselves and your children during the holidays. So I <laughs> know what tips she has about that hard pass Ramya thank you for this <laughs>
<laughs> Thank you. That's Ramya Emuthin, <laughs> co-host of Kelly and Ramya, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI. Coming up after the break, it's the weekly news quiz featuring Alex Smythe, Brock Richardson, and Alicia Yardley. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-tv. It's Tuesday. Let's wrap up the show with the aluminum foil known as the Weekly News Quiz. That is right. I am an aluminum foil person because saran wrap makes me angry. Let's welcome in the contestants for the quiz, starting with... AMI Human Resources Department representative Alicia Yardley. Hello, Alicia. Hello. Also bringing in now with Dave Brown sports reporter Brock Richardson. Hello, Brock. Hello. I didn't realize Saran Wrap could make one so angry. Oh, so <laughs> Brock, believe yep. you me, it is a problem. And also saying hello to the co-host of the show, Alex Smythe. Hello, Alex. I'm on your side, Dave. Don't worry. Yeah, aluminum foil all the way. Much more easy to manipulate. Let's talk about the rules of the game and no longer about wrapping up food. There are three rounds of questions in the news quiz with three questions per round. Each question comes with three multiple choice options. If you answer the question without needing the options, you get two points. If you need the options, you get one. If you get it wrong, well, that is self-evident. We move on until the point is awarded. The order of contestants was drawn by the white by Mary Daniel, the wife of producer Paul Daniel. The order will be Brock, Alex, and Alicia. So, round number one, starting with international news. And this question's coming to you, Brock. 41 construction workers were trapped inside a collapsed tunnel for more than two weeks after a landslide blocked the only exit. The workers were eventually freed. In what country did this happen? I need the options, please. Is it India? Thailand or Vietnam? Mm, India. That is correct. One point for Brock Richardson. The men were pulled through 187 feet of three-foot-wide steel pipe on wheeled stretchers. So one point for Brock to get things going. Alex, you get the next question. Last week, the United Nations condemned a Middle Eastern country for the the execution of a teenage boy. What country is it? Uh, I'll get the options, please, Dave. Is it Iran, Iraq, or Syria? I will go with Iran. That is correct. One point for Alex. The 17-year-old was forced to confess to the killing of a man during a brawl. Okay, everybody's getting these questions right off the top here. So a lot of pressure on Alicia here with the last question of round number (laughs) one. Alicia, last week, Christopher Luxon was sworn in as the new prime minister of an oceanic country. What country is it? Uh, Can I get the options, please? Is it Australia, New Zealand, or Papua New Guinea? I'm going to say New Zealand. That is correct. One point for Alicia Yardley. Loxon is New Zealand's 42nd Prime Minister. After one round, it's all square. One point for everybody. You get a point, and you get a point, and you get a point. All the questions in round two will relate to Canada. 
Alex, a British Columbia university announced it will be offering an art course focusing on graffiti. What university is putting the course on offer? I'm just going to swing for the fences and say Simon Fraser University, Dave. That is incorrect. Alicia, do you want to swing for the fences or do you want options? I'm going to take the options. Is it UBC, Emily Carr University, or Royal Roads University? Hmm. going to say UBC. That is incorrect. So, Brock, is it Emily Carr University or Royal Roads University? Royal Roads. That is incorrect, and I get the default point. So now we're all square at one point apiece. One question into the second round. The uh, program will explore the uh, subculture and practices of graffiti. Okay, Alicia, here comes a question for you. In New Brunswick post-secondary school is considering a name change. What is the current name of the New Brunswick institution? Uh, can I get the options, please? Is it St. Thomas University, the University of Moncton, or Mount Allison? Mm, I will go with Mount Allison. That is incorrect. Brock, an opportunity for a steal here. Was it St. Thomas or the University of Moncton? University of Moncton. That is correct. One point for Brock Richardson. Moncton was an 18th century British military figure who was involved in the deportation of thousands of Acadians. So uh, there it is. Brock has taken the lead, but I'm still in the mix here too. But Brock can really pull things away here with question number three of round number two. Chad Allen passed away at the age of 80 last week. Allen had been a founding member of an iconic Canadian rock band. What group is it? Need the options. Is it April Wine, the Guess Who, or Rush? April Wine. That is incorrect. Alex, chance for a steal. Ooh, uh, so I guess it's the Guess Who? That is correct. The band was originally called Al and the Silver Tones. Alan would leave the group in the mid-1960s. So after two rounds of play, Brock has two, Alex has two, Alicia has one, and I have one. So anybody's game, literally anybody's game going into round number three. And all of these questions are general news stories. Alicia, you get the first crack at round number three. Which late night talk show host was sidelined by a ruptured appendix? Uh, Stephen Colbert. Boom! Two points for Alicia Yardley taking the lead with three points now. Okay, Brock, the pressure is now on you. An artist's painting of the Madonna and Child was recovered from a residence in Naples, Italy. Who painted Madonna and the Child? I need the options, please. Is it Leonardo da Vinci, Paul Gauguin, or Sandro Botticelli? Sandro Botticelli. That is correct. One point for Brock Richardson. The artwork dates back to the 15th century and is believed to be worth more than $100 million. That's uh, quite the find. Okay, Alex, this next question also related to Italy. You've got to get at least a point here, at least mm -hmm. a point if you want to stay in this game. Italy's Garisenda Tower has city officials on high alert for fears that it could soon collapse. In what Italian city would you find the Garisenda Tower? Would it be Pisa? New. No, 
Incorrect. Mm. And now, Alicia, you have the choice of taking the options here or just swinging for two right off the top. Um, I'm going to take the options. Okay, so Alex already said pizza. Milan yep. is an option, as is Bologna. I'm going to say Bologna. That is correct. Alicia nails it with the options. The tower has dominated the Bologna skyline since the 12th century. My goodness, just like that. With the answer of that question, the stealing of that point, the winner is... Alicia Yardley, congratulations on the big win. Thank you. And um, what's great is that I managed to steal that point, although in the background my cat is trying to take down my Christmas tree. It's <laughs> a little bit. But uh, I am I'm I'm honored and I can't wait to be back next week. Is is your is your cat of the uh, cliched existence of one that uh, likes to attack Christmas lights? She doesn't. Uh, what she does is she'll just destroy things to get my attention. And so oh. she was trying to walk in front of my webcam. I shooed her. So now she's going to go destroy the Christmas tree. Uh, anim <laughs> animals have personality. There's uh, no doubt about that one. Speaking of animals, Brock, it's been a couple months since you got the puppy. How's the puppy holding up? The puppy is holding up. The puppy uh, training for the going to the bathroom outside is uh, suspect, but we'll get there. I'm not putting up a Christmas tree because I'd be afraid she would have a heyday with the Christmas tree this year. So <laughs> no Christmas tree in my house. No Christmas tree in Brock's house because it's it's Tia, the puppy, right? Tia? Yes, Tio? that's right. Yeah. Tia. Uh, Tia. Oh, gosh. Uh, how big is the puppy getting? She is uh, pushing the 20-pound mark now. So she's getting wow. big. Oh, my gosh. Cause she, was just little, she was just little itty-bitty when you first got her. Yes, she was. How big is she supposed to get? She's supposed to get in the neighborhood of 40 to 60 pounds. My wife and I are hoping for the 40-pound mark, not the <laughs> yeah. 60 pounds. <laughs> yeah, there's, there's a big difference between a 40-pound dog and a 60-pound dog, and it's not just the literal 20 pounds. It's the uh, uh, effort that it takes to corral those 20 extra pounds. Alex, are there any animals in the Smythe household? No, we just got uh, my little nephew who's a little critter onto himself. So it'll be a very interesting Christmas because it's his first year walking around. We'll see how he interacts with the Christmas tree. He may want to tear everything down as well, but hey, you live and learn. I mean, based on uh, <laughs> based on some of uh, the stories on this show, I want to tear down some Christmas trees too. Although a beautiful little menorah available in uh, AMI's uh, central uh, hallway or our reception desk, which is awesome because Hanukkah starts later this week. Okay, that's it. That's all the time there is for the show today. Until tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time, I am Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Dave Brown here. If you enjoy this podcast portion of our show, remember you can watch it live every day at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. The Walrus is Canada's conversation, and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus, where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. 
available wherever you download your AMI podcasts.